Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is writer and journalist Tom Roston, whose latest article for IndieWire examines the unspoken traumas of the filmmaking community. In the article, Tom provides a comprehensive look at how documentary filmmakers are speaking out about the toll the filmmaking process, especially when covering particularly traumatic subjects, can take on their mental health. Tom Roston has been writing about film, culture, and ideas for more than two decades. In addition to IndieWire, his byline has appeared in The Nation, Vanity Fair, Salon, Fast Company, and The New York Times. Tom is also the author of several nonfiction books, including his most recent, 2021's The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying these conversations, please do follow, like, share, and leave a review. They can really make a difference. And now on to my conversation with Tom Roston. Hello, Tom Roston. Welcome to Making Media Now. Thanks for having me on the show. So I invited you to come on and chat, Tom, today in reference to an article that you had published just this week in IndieWire uh, magazine and on its website. And the, the headline of the article is the documentary film industry is in crisis, the unspoken traumas of the filmmaking community. I'm curious how this story found you. How did you find this story? And and what about that topic felt so compelling for you? I mean, as a journalist myself, um, I'm always looking for stories. And I've written about documentary film for a really long time. And I think this might be the most obvious documentary uh, story like this that you could write about, about the industry, which is that making films about traumatic subjects must be really hard on the filmmakers themselves. So I am... Um, uh, you know, there was that original kernel idea. And then if you look at the context that we live in, this whole I mean, post-COVID, or, you know, if we can call that post-COVID, the awareness of trauma is is really heightened. And I have to say for myself, I wrote this book about, about Kurt Vonnegut, uh, the writer, and how he wrote Slaughterhouse-Five related to his own trauma, having served in World War II and the, the awful things that happened to him. So it was on my mind. Plus the fact that I write about documentary film and uh, you know away I went. Yeah, I think it's an interesting distinction too that, and, and you brought it out about these are filmmakers who have chosen to dive into the world of in many times very disturbing, very disturbing subject matter. So we're you know we're not talking about uh, documentary filmmakers who are specializing, say, in reality television. It's a particular type of story, and it may even be a particular type of psychological profile on the part of the filmmaker, the filmmaker themselves. And I thought it was interesting. You make an interesting disi- uh, distinction between th- sort of the first person, first hand experiencer of this trauma and the second hand experiencers of this trauma. Talk a little bit about that distinction. 
Yeah, the second hand, another word for that is vicarious trauma. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that is just incredible when you think about the P- PTSD diagnosis. Uh, central to that is this notion of someone who's been exposed to something terrible, something traumatic. But it isn't necessarily the person actually experiences it. It's the, it's the fact that it could be two, two, twice removed. And, and, and in fact, for a lot of soldiers who experience PTSD, it's not necessarily because they're in the moment, they're in a battle and something terrible happens. Because in fact, there's all this, you know, there are all, there's, all, there's all this uh, chemical under, understanding of the chemistry of the person who's experiencing something traumatic. You know, there's that whole fight or flight, you know, thing that you're going through. People, the human biology reacts to trauma in a certain way. But if you're not in that moment and it's your buddy who uh, experiences this or you hear about it from you know, the, the battalion next to you, it happens to them. It can actually, for lack of a better word, infect the mind. And this is part of the PTSD diagnosis that so many people come out of war and they have PTSD. And then and others, you know, people might, might ask, well, why? You know, you weren't even on the front lines. But in fact, it really hits them hard. And so, yes, to come back to documentary filmmakers, these are people who aren't necessarily experiencing firsthand the trauma, although some of them do. Some of them do go into war zones. And so they are, fight, you know, fearing for their lives. Um, but a lot of them are just vicariously. They're talking to these people who experience terrible things. And of course, it's going to affect them. Yeah, you uh, you cite in the article Alexis Johnson, who was a uh, an editor on an Alex Gibney film called The Forever Prisoner, which was about the CIA's interrogation treatment of of a prisoner. She references or, or perhaps you reference. Yes, you, you refer to documentary filmmakers as crash test dummies. And yeah, I'm, she, she, she basically I mean, she told me that basically it's her job to just put herself in that car and smash against the wall over and over again. Because that's what, you know, I mean, as anyone who's a creator, you know that you're trying if you're trying to do something for an audience, you have to test it on yourself. You have to see how it feels to read that line, that sentence that you wrote, to see that that clip that you edited, the, to see that, you know, part of a, a show that you filmed. You need to see what impression it puts on you. And if it's something terrible, it's going to have an impact. Yeah. You, and, I, and I think when you it's really interesting that you brought up the work of an editor, because, you know, so often, um, you know, you hear that the greatest compliment that you can pay an editor is that their work was essentially invisible. They've created this seamless piece of storytelling. But in order to get there, oftentimes you're having to work with, you know, a, a piece of footage dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And if that footage contains particularly jarring uh, content. It might even be content that's too jarring to make the final cut. As you say, uh, you've subjected your psyche uh, to the impact of that footage. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, you know, inevitably, there's going to be a numbness, right? You, you, uh, this is what the, you know the filmmakers tell me that eventually become you make start making jokes about the things that you see, the terrible things that you see, because how else can you look at something? 500 times. Uh, how can you feel it every single time? And, and again, to come back to this, the, the original idea for the story, which is that um, when I wrote the, the, the book about Vonnegut, I was looking into PTSD and there's this incredible evolution of war trauma and, and the notion of what trauma is. And part of the definition is repeating something over and over again in your mind. And that's actually what film editors have to do in their profession. And also, you know, and the director and the producers, 
they're actually experiencing the same thing over and over and over again, which is exactly a symptom of someone, a soldier who experiences war and just can't get out of the mental loop going over and over in their mind. How does this phenomenon exist alongside the what may be a, a caricature of the conflict zone uh, either journalist or documentary filmmaker who is who is thought to be the adrenaline junkie who, you know, runs toward the fire and towards the the gruesome story. Is that a necessary protective barrier uh, or or have you found that that those two personality types coexist? Um well, that's actually uh, Judith Herman, who wrote like, the, the seminal book on on trauma, like the 1982 book. She's a Harvard professor. Uh, she, um, she, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. She said that the definition of psychological trauma is experiencing something awful and trying to deny it at the same time that you're trying to understand it. And it's that tension between the two. It's, it's you're trying to flee it. You're trying to deny it that it ever happened. And so, yeah, like you're saying that, and yet uh, a documentary filmmaker is trying to get rid of the denial and just trying to embrace whatever it is. And they're basically using themselves as vessels because, I mean, a lot of documentary filmmakers have these, you know, are, are activists, they're social activists, they care about the social causes. And so they're saying, look, I'm going to take it and I'm going to, because it's worth it for me to get it out into the world. Um, but they suffer. And, and luckily, as, as, as I write about in the, in the article, there is a, a new movement toward um, filmmakers taking care of themselves and figuring and understanding the, the burden that they carry. How do you see that movement in, in its relationship to perhaps a, uh, a broader workplace acknowledgement of mental health issues? Yeah, it's, it's all around. I mean, I think, you know, everyone's got workshops and it's a, it's a constant discussion about um you know, trauma, this trauma, that there's big T trauma, small T trauma. Um, and I mean, I, I do think there's a danger to it being just too popular. And so we talk about, you know, I was traumatized because the barista gave me my, you know, mocha, you know, was too <laughs> flat or something or too much milk, whatever, whatever it is. And so it was traumatized. Um, and you, and you hear that a lot, and especially, I mean, for those, you know, on, on the left, uh, the you know the Trump era traumatizing. Everyone's talking about how traumatizing it is, and and that it, it does diminish it to a degree because there is real trauma, there is real PTSD, and so I think that's you know in in the workplace there there you know every company has their own way of handling it. But I mean, an interesting you know discussion to get into is just the industry of, of documentary filmmakers. I mean, you've got people who are basically freelancers Absolutely. who are out, out in right. their world in the world doing their own thing. And so there's no one really taking care of them right. um, other than themselves or if they're in, in a community. And some are in a community, but some aren't. Um, and that's something that I, I, I learned about, and we, we can talk about that more. But, um, well, you know, I, I will talk a little bit about how you and I have been talking about traumatic films. but in fact, you know, you were mentioning like someone who just makes a reality TV show. We're not really necessarily talking about that, but we can be because for a lot of documentary filmmakers, they're living, you know, uh, day, you know day to day, month to month, trying to make a living. Um, that's tough. And, you try working with the Kardashians. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> those guys are probably all right. Whoever's working with the Kardashians are OK, but it's the filmmakers 
I mean, I, I was recently at Hot Docs in, in Toronto, and and there was this conference to talk, and there were you know lots of filmmakers were talking about how you know they spend months and months without any you know connection to anyone, and they're they're desperately trying to get funding, and they don't know how to get funding, and it's alienating being a documentary filmmaker and and not being that in that select group because anyone in the documentary film world knows there's, there's a, whatever, there's a top 1%, right? And there's maybe 10% who are getting steady work. And then maybe there's 90% who are just banging their heads against the walls, trying to get that film that they've been working on for five years, you know, to completion, trying to put together, you know, side jobs. And, uh, and that's rough. That's, that's not good on anyone's psyche. Yeah. You mentioned that the, the hot docs documentary film festival in Toronto that you recently attended. And in, in your article, you point out the a work done by an organization called documentality, and they had issued a report that came out of that, uh, that meeting, um, or that was presented during that meeting, I should say 150 filmmakers from the U S Canada and great Britain. They're divided into 21 focus groups. 100% of whom, according to your article, reported having mental health struggles as a re- direct result of filmmaking. And to underscore the point you were just making, you're absolutely right in the sense that lack of infrastructure, um, you, you know, for even an informal infrastructure to, you know, who do I talk this through with? Who do I sort of use as my sanity check? And I and and in the in the world of documentary filmmaking, particularly when you're the subject matter of your documentary, you know, might be one of those issues that much of society would prefer to look away from. You know, any of those uh, those those documentary filmmakers that are speaking truth to power, that are uncovering the inconvenient truths, as we say, it would feel like we, we know how they're struggling to raise every dollar. And what a convenience or what a luxury it might feel like, an unnecessary luxury, you know, to apply any funds toward their own mental health. It's it's quite a conundrum. Yeah, well, but but there is change that's happening. Um, I, a lot of the filmmakers I spoke to were mentioning these different um, resources, uh, mm-hmm. which you know I'll, I'll, I'll talk about. Is that is this a good moment? To... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's the... DART Center at a Columbia Journalism School, which um, traditionally had focused on, on on journalists and their relationship to trauma, whether they're writing about trauma or the, or the journalists themselves have trauma. And um, recently, over the last five years, they're getting approached by documentary filmmakers and, and production companies. And so they're creating these workshops and one-on-one um, assists. And then also there's um, there's a there's a what what I what I guess I guess there's I mean another there's another like there's there are individual companies but there are also platforms or production companies that are all trying to get into it. So HBO, for example, they when I think when the uh, production seems fitting, they will approach the filmmakers and say, look, you know, this is going to be rough. Like the you know, the series of the vow, you know, about the uh, the sex cult. Yes, exactly. Yeah, about the uh, Nexium cult. Right. Um, so that, you know, terif- you know, terribly psychologically burdensome film um, uh, for, the, for the people who are in it. But imagine what it was like for the filmmakers themselves being there and working on it for so long. Um, uh, so, yeah, HBO offered uh, help uh, if they wanted, um, you know, mental health support. Um, and so uh, the, this filmmaker I spoke to, Jenny Morello, when she worked on the film uh, Victim Suspect about sexual assault. Uh, she too was offered by uh, by Netflix. So the big platforms are doing it. 
but also there, it's it's interesting for me to see um, there's a, that uh, company uh, Story Syndicate, uh, uh, Liz Garbus and yes. Dan Hogan's company. Mm-hmm. Um, like they are literally there. I think I, I might be wrong, but I think what they're doing when they ha- when they hire a full time employee, they send them over to the to the Dart Center and like give them a, a, a workshop, a, 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 some sort of a tutorial on on what they're going to be getting into. And that's something that um, this uh, this uh, organization, Film in Mind, that's a lot behind documentality, is really into, which is preparing people um, for what they're going to get into. Because when a filmmaker says, "Oh, I, let's let's make a movie about whatever it is, uh, you know, some urban poverty in some you know, city," um, if they can get to the starting point and get a production company to say yes and get some money. There's, you know, there's no looking back, right? right. Where along the way are, is someone going to say, "Hey, listen, this is going to be really tough." You know, you're talk, dealing with, you know, really you know, whether you know there's someone who's died or there's someone who's, you know, has mental health issues in, in the film. You know, all this stuff. Where is the person who's going to say, "Listen, we're going to have to like care for the filmmakers along the way." There, you know, there no one's going to stop a, a green light on on a, on, a, on a film because you know you, everyone wants to go and get it done. So, exactly. so, the, so there's more thought going into it. And, and, I, and also the last thing I'll say is um, I think a lot more filmmakers are, are, are approaching their films with this in mind. So they're choosing their collaborators um, more wisely and seeing, who, is this a person who I'm going to be able to back up? And is this person going to back me up if, you know, if things get rough? Yeah, the choice of collaborators would would seem to be would seem to be key in researching this uh, topic and talking to filmmakers. Did tell me about an, uh, the experience, if any, around filmmakers maybe being reluctant to reveal certain vulnerabilities? Oh, with May speaking to me. Definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. That definitely happened, and and um, you know, yeah. If, if, if I'll, I'll just be, you know, I'll pull the curtain back. It's it's weird doing a, a, a whatever that was a two thousand word story um, with a lot of people I don't know. I mean, some of the people I did know, but most of the people I didn't know. And just saying, so you know, so have you been traumatized by the film you worked on? And if this is literally a thirty minute phoner, you know, it's like that's just it's not a good conversation. It's not a good look for anyone. Um, I, but you know, everyone's a professional, and so uh, you know, I think people were more willing to be vulnerable. Um, for the sake of the cause, because I think a lot of people, um, especially this filmmaker, Jenny Morello, who's written a story herself, she's a, film, a cinematographer, she's really invested in getting the word out because she's she's struggled with it herself. I think she's in a good place right now on it, and she's able to help others. And that's really cool to see. You say in your article, this reframing of success is one of the major goals that Documentality, which is an organization uh, run by a, a psychotherapist named Rebecca Day, this re- reframing of success being one of the major goals that can help alleviate some of the stresses of being a documentary filmmaker. What do you mean by reframing of success? Well, I, I mean, I get a lot of that um, from this uh, filmmaker, Chitra Jayaram. Mm-hmm. who she's um, made a few films and she had um, a lot of mental health issues about 15 years ago, let's say. And she attempted to take her own life in, you know, uh, so, you know, she, she went, she went there, you know, she went there and luckily she, she didn't succeed and she's come back and she's in a, in a much better place right now. And she's making a film that she's always wanted to make. What happened to her was uh, when she 
was in the men- in in the uh, mental health ward after you know t- trying to take her life. She actually read the article about I'm going to mess up his name, but the guy who made a searching for Sugar Man, Malik, mm-hmm. yeah, um, who who successfully killed himself, who had won the Oscar the year before, and so when she read about that, having almost done the same thing, it just bowled her over. I mean, imagine that, you know, she had, she, I mean, she was dealing with her own issues and she's very much aware of that. Right. It wasn't just about her life as a filmmaker, but for her to be able to see that a person who had won an Oscar could be wrestling with depression himself. Um, and it was, you know, it had quite an impact on, on her. And now she's in a place where she's making this film and she's been working on it for many years. And now she's saying that, you know, she doesn't have to succeed in film. What she's gotten out of it, there's, a, it's the, you know, it's it's the integrity of the film itself. It's what she's learned from it. It's the film unto itself. I mean, I think she's a real hustler and she's able to make money in different ways. And so, you know, bless her because she's been able to, to, to do that. I'm sure it hasn't been easy, um, but she's able to, like we're talking about, reframe what she wants to get out of this movie and so that her whole you know life is not hooked to whether or not it's going to make it to sundance or it's going to get certain grants um so yeah that's that's the reframing but it's also you know so there's reframing from the filmmaker's perspective but there's also reframing from the the company's perspective because you know there's whenever you go to a film festival whenever you're in an industry gathering everyone's drawn to the people who are doing like the cool hot stuff right Right. Um, and, and the ones who are getting the Netflix deals and the ones who are getting the Oscar nominations. And so uh, I think uh, Rebecca Day from Film in Mind and others, they're trying to say, you know, let's let's refocus. Let's reset, step back and let's see. Let's try to like uh, let's try to make films that are making a better world that are, you know, that are actually art pieces that are that have the integrity of of having completed something great. It doesn't have to come with the awards and everything else. Yeah. It's interesting. When I was reading your article, I was one thing that was becoming apparent to me, there, there's a particular irony perhaps, and this is a generalization. Uh, anytime you're, you know, you're kind of summing up a particular um, group of people from a psychological profile perspective, you know, you think of documentary, one could think of documentary filmmakers, particularly those dealing with, you know, perhaps more esoteric or uh, more difficult subjects as being more empathic to begin with. Like what is driving them to tell these stories and not make car commercials or something? And, you know, is their psychological default mode making them sort of more vulnerable to the injustices of the world to begin with. And then you marry that with the fact that, you know, yes, it is the documentary film business, but it's still the film business. So there's bureaucracy to deal with. There's egos to deal with. Um, and, you know, and it, and it did feel as if in certain instances, these people could be sponges for not only the, let's just say, injustices that they are surrounded by in their work, but also, you know, just some of the stuff that can crush the spirit of the most optimistic person in the realm of trying to get funding, trying to get distribution, and then the competitive landscape. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think you or I want to paint documentary filmmakers as wilting flowers. Or- exactly. But but they're I mean by and large they're caring people who spend a lot of time trying to tell really really emotional impactful stories about troubling subjects and 
they are people, real people that they're making these films about. And so they're invested in them. And, and, I, and what I've looked at is, is that there's like a twofold responsibility there, right? So there's the documentary filmmaker who wants to make sure that they do justice to their subjects. And so they want their film to succeed for their subjects. They want the film to succeed to make a, a better life for that person or to at least tell that story and, and, and give that person, when that person sees that film, they feel like their, you know, their story has been told and told justly. So that's a huge responsibility, right? But then also, you know, there's just the responsibility that filmmakers have talked to me about when you're dealing with people who are, who are, you know, don't have the means that these filmmakers have, who have camera rigs that are more, you know, that, that cost more than what these people might make in a month, or that their subjects might make in a month or a year, there's a, a disturbing imbalance, you know, and that they have to navigate. And so filmmakers get asked to get paid. They get asked, they, there's this implication that, or that, that they should somehow assist the people that they, you know, are filming. And that's a tricky ethical, you know, map to, to, yeah. to try to navigate. And, and which, which comes to the other issue, which is documentary filmmakers are not trained to do this. And that's something that Rebecca Day was saying that a therapist goes through years of training and then they're, you know, they're, they're always, they're going to other therapists and they're having supervisors, they're supervising each other. But it's not as if documentary filmmakers are out there with like a full understanding of the ethics of, of what they do. And, and they're kind of like, it's a lot of them are just doing it on the fly. Right. So it's, 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 it's really challenging uh, being a documentary filmmaker and, and most don't go into it realizing that. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to say one other thing. I'm just, you want to move, you want to move on or there's. This is great. No, keep it coming. Well, I, I just think it's, I mean, I've been covering this long enough to see the, uh, I mean, I would, I'm looking at around 2003 mm-hmm. when, um, when documentary film was really popping and blowing up and suddenly Michael Moore was making these movies were making millions of dollars. And then, and then there were all these like cool little films like Spellbound. They were making lots of money and everyone was watching them in the theater. And then suddenly everyone's like, well, you know, my first film, I really want to be Quentin Tarantino. But it's going to be much easier to make a documentary. So I'm just going to make a documentary first. Right. So there are a lot of, you know, film geeks who got into documentary just because by necessity. Now, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily like, you know, people who have moral compasses and uh, have, uh, you know, have the drive and understanding of, say, like a person who comes from maybe a, a social activist background who like really knows how to care for a community and, and has a better sense of what they're doing. I mean, if it's a person who's just trying to make a movie because they just want to succeed and end up in Hollywood, right. they might not have the psychological attributes that are necessary to handle, you know, some of the subject that, that, and the content that they're, they're handling. So, well, yeah, what, one thing that was not only uh, illuminating, but also um, injected a bit of optimism, I think, from your piece is, you know, you do point out, yes, this is something that's now being spoken of. And there are people and organizations who who are focusing their attention uh, on, on the subject. And uh, I urge everybody to read the article. I'll, I'll make sure there's a link uh, to the article in the program notes for this for this podcast and also as we share it through social media. But I don't want to lose before I lose you. I do want to circle back to you made mention to your the, the book that you wrote back in 2021 called The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse Five, which gave you a bit of a sense. Vonnegut 
<laughs> experienced no shortage of of, of trauma himself. Um, I'm speaking to you middle of June 2023 in a week that if you're plugged into the literary landscape, a couple of giants uh, went down this week, being Cormac McCarthy, uh, the 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 seminal novelist, and also Robert Gottlieb, a legendary editor. A couple of weeks ago, we lost Martin Amis. You wrote a book about Vonnegut. Obviously, writers and writing and literature mean something to you. I'm curious. I always feel like, am I the only one noticing the loss of these folks? Um, what's your take on, and I'm going to give you eight minutes to answer this. <laughs> what's your take on, you know, what is the role of the writer as a totem for culture these days? Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, I... I... I inwardly smirk when you use the word giants, you know, giants. It's just like, it's the, it's the, we don't live in the land of giants anymore. We don't, right? you're so right. It, it, particularly, you know, Gottlieb actually, in a way, even though I love McCarthy and he's one of my favorite writers and I adore, you know, his work. Um, in a way, Gottlieb has more of an impact because to me, it's such an example of a bygone era. The fact that we would care it's like, I don't know, when Harry Evans, you know, the editor, when he sure. died or, yeah. you know, it's like, who, you know, like, oh, yeah, those guys that used to matter so much. Yeah. You know, they were the rock stars. Uh, even, you know, just 20 years ago, those guys were rock stars. Those guys really mattered. And, you know, when they entered a, you know, whatever, a restaurant, like it was like it really mattered. And and, you know, whatever, whatever it was in the New York Post, you know, would, would cover it. You know, the, the gossip, you know, the gossip, you know, Liz Smith would, you know tell you where, what they're doing and we would care what they're thinking. Um, and so it's sort of funny to me when I, you know, yeah, when Gottlieb was back dead, cause I was like, Oh yeah, I guess we used to care about that guy. Uh, yeah, there's uh, that, there's a great documentary. I don't know if you ever saw it about George Plimpton and uh, <laughs> there's the sequence where I think it's his ex-wife who's saying, yeah, it's a Tuesday night. It's seven o'clock. He tells me there's going to be a few people over and they do a pan of that room. And there's probably 35 people there. And it's, you know, it's Muhammad Ali. It's Norman Mailer. It's Andy right. Warhol. It's, right. you know, sort of these 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 giants, not just a pop culture by any means, but people who took literature seriously, who argued about it, who thought it was a vessel for the communication of ideas and I know it's easy to romanticize, you know, the past, but I'm not seeing a lot of that on, on a, obviously people are still writing and, and selling books, but it does break out so much more genre driven. And if you're, you know, genres become silos. And if I'm in one, if I'm in my silo as a reader or a writer, I don't go to any other silo. So where is that polymath? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was thinking about, telling you and talking to you a little bit about Kurt Vonnegut. And I will, I'll, I'll just say quickly that, yeah, when I wrote a book about him, that was, this was what your, your conversation, your questioning about this is actually the reason why, one of the reasons why I went and wrote that book, because I just thought, oh, an icon from the 20th century guy that I used to care about, that a lot of you people used to care about. It'll be interesting to write a book about him and just to see like, does it, is it relevant anymore? And I thought to write about him through the prism of PTSD, a very current issue, was the way to do it. And I'm proud of the book. But it, honestly, I found that mm, I don't know if the world really does care so much about him. But, you know, I guess, you know, you and I know we're two white guys. We're, we're, we're aware of the fact that the world has, has flipped. 
And this is actually a good thing. People are questioning, you know, the canon. People are questioning the great, you know, white male authors of the 20th century. And even though, you know, Kurt was one of those guys who was like a total rebel, he's still one of those old white guys. Um, sure. so, but, but also so, with the ability to uh, work the aperture, right? Yeah, like he, yeah. And, and, and if, you know, if all literature essentially becomes a, a derivative of memoir, then I, I'm not saying it doesn't have value, uh, but it, uh, it, it just plays a different role. Well, I think, I th- yeah, I, mean, I think the, the, the literary landscape has changed tremendously. And in many ways, it's changed for the better because it's become much more diverse, much more you know, intricate, much more subtle in different ways. Um, I think there was an order to it. Yeah. When you could, you know, watch and, and you would know that 20 people who you know, are on news shows and, you know, whether it was, you know, so, so, you know, even if. Well, I won't get into it too much, but yeah, I mean, but there was an order to it that I think is better off that's uh, messing with that order. But it's, you know, there's something lost. There's something gained. Let's right. how about we put it that way? <laughs> we can put it that way. Tom Rostin, uh, you have been writing about culture, film, books, belief systems for over two decades. Uh, your work has appeared in, you know, name a major publication. Tom's byline has been there. New York Times, Vanity Fair, Premier Magazine for quite some time. If people are interested in finding out more about you and your work, where should we point them? Oh, you can just Google me. You can okay. just Google, Google my name. But uh, that's, yeah, that's uh, and and I'm I'm st- I'm I'm happy with my relationship with IndieWire. They're they're great. You know, I'm really really happy that there's actually a film publication out there that has a lot of credibility. Absolutely, um, it's, and, it's a must read for me, most definitely. And again, we were talking about an IndieWire piece that that Tom published this week around the documentary film industry and crisis unspoken traumas of the filmmaking community. Tom, thanks so much for this article. Thanks for your insight and for your time. This has been a really good conversation. Yeah, it's been great talking. Thanks a lot.